On the Lollygaggers podcast, this week we go super classy with talk of poop, farts, corpses, and high school wrestling. Also in this episode, we offer our impressions of Netflix's newest show, The Umbrella Academy, and come away a little bit torn. For the gentleman's challenge, Jeff watches Swiss Army Man, while Justin takes on a kingdom full of Korean zombies. Welcome to episode number 45 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. What's up, buddy? Oh, you know, things, stuff. Yeah. It's pretty about exciting. You. Yeah, I know. It's been um, raining crazily here. So, yeah. Well, I've had to deal with this our last couple of weeks of wrestling. So things are winding down, but it's still really busy all the time because like, you have districts, regional states. We just had districts last week. We had four kids move on to regionals, which is good, but it could have been better. It's a little disappointing, but it's just been a long crease time. And I'm poor because my dog made me poor. Um, but other than that, uh, things are pretty solid, you know, pretty solid. That's cool. That's cool. I, uh, I I started a new Kingdom Death campaign, so pretty excited. Uh, we've played two nights now. I painted some stuff. I've been working like really hard this weekend on The Butcher. We got uh, taken to uh, Hack City, and uh, that killed everybody. It was pretty awesome. Uh, one of these days, I will do a full-on uh, you know, write-up, and, and, and I'll talk about Kingdom Death, because I've mentioned it a few times here and there. Uh, but we are only like five years into the new campaign, so... Once we get a little bit further, we'll see how it goes. But I'm super excited about that. It's fun to be playing that again. And uh, I think we might be having a game night, a big game night, pretty soon, uh, as our old friend Derek, uh, is, uh, his birthday's coming up. So we might be doing something for that. So I'm so jealous. Something to look forward to. If you lived out in the desert where it rains, uh, you would be able to also get to do this. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So this week, Justin and I actually, uh, we joined forces, and uh, for our opening segment here, we're actually going Wonder to do... Wonder Twins, activate. <laughs> Whatever. We're actually going to do a breakdown. Yeah. It's the TV. Breakdown. <laughs> so, The Umbrella Academy is a 2019 Netflix television show based on the comic book series of the same name. It's developed by Steve Blackman and Jeremy Slater, and the show follows the lives of seven children who were purchased slash adopted uh, by Reginald Hargreaves, this renowned and fairly eccentric billionaire, following strange circumstances surrounding their births. Now, on October 1st, so in the past, on October 1st, 1989, 43 women spontaneously and simultaneously gave birth, despite none of them having been pregnant up until that moment. Hargreaves tried to acquire as many of these children as he could, and he ended up with seven. He forever referred to these people by their numbers, a number one, and number two, and number three, uh, etc. And he tried to raise them into a team of superheroes, seeing as how they all had superpowers, with the exception of number seven, played by Ellen Page. Uh, after this opening montage, this is probably the first ten minutes or show of the, of the first episode of the show, uh, the show eventually jumps forward to present day, which is about 30 years later, where the grand plan of a superhero family is now in shambles. Number five disappeared while trying to time travel. Number six died. And number seven wrote a tell-all book and was now something of an outcast. The rest of the group separated at some point in the past, but are now forced to reunite as their adoptive father, Hargreaves, is found dead. And there is a little bit of mystery regarding how he died and why he died. So now as adults, these broken, selfish, but ultimately good-hearted survivors attempt to solve the mystery surrounding Hargreaves' death come to terms with their own troubled lives, and maybe possibly save the world. A world that, according to the surprise return of number five, is going to end in just a few days. So, Joss and I are going to talk about this as best we can without spoiling too much, but we will probably spoil some things. So, Justin, what do you think of the Umbrella Academy? So, my opinion of it changed over time so in the beginning i enjoyed it a lot because it uh, i've read the comics um i've read the first two graphic novels and even as i was watching through this uh show i, I took some time to kind of uh fling through them again to see what was going on um so this is a story created by the guy who's the lead singer of my chemical romance um it's he became a writer and decided to create this and it was the comic the, the graphic novel the dark horse and um 
I very much enjoyed the graphic novel. Through kind of like watching the show and re-looking through the graphic novel, it seems a bit disjointed and and um, doesn't and, and takes you know time sequences out of the novel, uh, you know, in a, in bad order. Um, like you don't get introduced to Hazel and Cha Cha until the second graphic novel, but they're an intricate part to the story from you know you know moment. Hazel and Cha and Cha. Cha Cha is it Cha Cha? Yeah, Hazel yeah, and Cha Cha are these two, uh, these two figures that are in the in the show very t- relatively early, and they like to wear these little animal cartoon anime type masks, and they are hunting down, we think number five, and we don't really know why, and so they become these kind of G Men type characters, and eventually we find out more about why they're there and what they're doing. So, but they are there fairly early on. In the comic, they do a better job of like creating the initial problem. So like. The idea is these guys have gotten older and their lives have been ruined through trauma as children, you know, because they weren't really children. They were raised as weapons, not as children, because uh, Hargreaves is a terrible human being uh, that didn't care for these children at all. He just used them as their own, his own experiment. That's how that's my interpretation of Hargreaves. Holy crap, that guy should be in jail. Yeah. Yeah. And they do a good job in the show early on of showing, you know, the repercussions of like what a professor x would do like you know when you think about professor x took these kids from their families and taught them to be warriors you know it didn't really teach them to be you know kids in the right you know the normal sense of kids um it's it's an interesting storyline but i think what happens over time is it becomes disjointed from the original idea of the comic book and like the initial problem is what's going what goes on with number seven like the uh, overall uh, climax of the first season is the initial uh, uh, the first uh, graphic novel the first little uh, story and this one they kind of introduced the idea that five and what he's done in his past and what had happened through him and, and his uh, um, mistakes and jumping through certain things and that's not introduced to the second graphic novel so you don't even get you don't get to understand who cha-cha and hayes are to later you don't even get to really even see ben at all till later on um, Ben's number was it six? I believe it's um, six, yeah. And uh, so, just the way it was told in the TV show, I don't think was a good representation. The way it's shown in the comic books, stuff's revealed over time, and I think it just makes more sense. the the comp the, the show at times seems like it's trying to be artsy and cool, but it ends up just kind of like looking stupid and not as not as interesting. Um, I enjoy the special effects. I think. Uh, um uh what's his name pogo it's fantastic yeah um and all the little things in the show like this the uh the way like the 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 stuff coming from number seven looks like and all that interesting stuff looks really good but like oh and also number one's body i think looks really really cool especially when they show it and it's it's so number one yeah number one is played by tom hopper and number one is basically an he's kind of like half man half ape uh and you find out over the course of the season exactly why because when we're in the when we're in flashbacks when we see him as a kid or even younger he seems fine but in the present day in the now in 2019 he is a man that is huge and, and gigantic and he's been living for the past four years on the moon strangely enough uh, but he's he's hairy like an ape, and then we find out exactly why. And it was sort of a, this this emergency ex- experimental procedure gone wrong with him. Yeah, in the comic book, it was pretty much he cut his head off and put it on a monkey's body, and it's different in the sh- in the show, which is fine. But like, I, that that's not the thing that bothered me. What bothers me is kind of like the progression of them showing like number it's because it's all kind of revolves around number five and the stuff that goes on with him and the bigger story of what's happening with that um i thought the actors did fine uh i had no problem with any of the actors at all except for mary j blige uh it's not the greatest but uh you know she was mary fine j. Blige. mary j blige plays cha-cha she's one of the two g-men that uh that justin was talking about and um so I thought that's all fine, uh, but we mentioned earlier this week that some of the characters make some dumb decisions that don't make sense. But one of the things that kind of bother me about TV shows is if people just took five seconds to just put their garbage aside and talk for five seconds, a lot of stuff could be solved. Like, right. let's stop. We all have superpowers. We all can work together and work out. Why are none of these people smart enough to just stop and have a conversation for just a second? And you know they act, sometimes these people just kind of act like ten year olds 
and it, you know maybe you could put that as a uh, result of trauma as children. That's still, what the show is hoping to convey: is the idea that they don't know how to actually engage on an adult conversation because they weren't raised with those skills. They were raised as kind of this, like you said, like you mentioned, weapons or or superheroes or whatever the hell that that Hargreaves wanted them to be. And doing so, they lack the kind of social or emotional maturity that's needed to be able to to handle this kind of stuff. I I guess but it doesn't, that's, it doesn't that's come off guy. like that. It just comes off as they're just stupid and don't know how to kind of have a conversation, and that kind of gets a little bit annoying. But other than that, like when there's action, it's pretty interesting. I like it when they do the flashbacks when they're kids because I think the the kids' action is pretty cool, and I think that the kids' outfits look interesting. A lot of the stuff, you know, even if I didn't read the comic book, it's pretty easy to guess what's happening and pretty pretty uh unoriginal um but my argument for that would be i think it's the translation didn't make it very good because in the comic book it wasn't that easy to see coming and stuff like that wasn't as easy to uh uh kind of predict coming in the future of like what's happening with number seven what's going on because very early on in the show they're like oh there's something interesting but like you don't have to you don't get that when you're reading the book um and the art style in the book, kind of like, I like the art style a lot too. It's really interesting kind of feel to it. This one, it seems a little bit more generic. There's not a really interesting art style to it at all. I try to get artsy at times, like when uh, Klaus goes to uh, the house in the woods and it's all kind of like Klaus really is uh, one, of the, one of the children. I can't remember which number, but he's the one who can see the dead uh, is basically yeah. his power. He can communicate and possibly more uh, with the dead. He hasn't fully explored his power yet. Uh, and he's honestly a scene stealer sometimes, I think. I enjoy him probably the most. Um, yeah, it's Robert Sheehan who's, uh, who's the actor for that. Because He can get kind of annoying sometimes, but still, he's the most interesting character. Luther's kind of one-dimensional. Like He's like Leonardo. Like Nobody likes Leonardo. You know, like Everyone likes Mikey. And Klaus is kind of like Mikey. You know what I mean? I was a Raphael fan if we're talking Teenage Mutant So Ninja you're Rose. more of a number, what is it, number seven fan? Not number seven, number six. No, what are you talking about? I What? Well, I mean, we don't really get number six at all because he's dead. But well, I would say. It, three? Which one's the, the guy with the knives? The guy with the knives? Uh, oh, him. Yeah. I don't remember his character name. Well, he's Diego, but I don't remember his number. Yeah. So, Okay. A couple things I, I think we need to get on the table. So I think that the show looks good, right? So like the, the visuals of the show, I think, look very good. I think at times it is stylish. Uh, I definitely think that is a problem, however, because I often feel like there's a lot of more, there's more focus put towards the style and the visuals than there is towards the substance of it. So Justin mentioned Pogo. Pogo is a monkey that uh, is a monkey butler like literally a monkey butler for Hargreaves and has served Hargreaves his entire life but not just like a regular monkey but a monkey with the capability of actually talking and communicating and he wears a suit Uh, it's all quite wonderful and it looks amazing and then the mother uh, they call her mom um, but she is basically a robot uh, that was developed because as the various uh, powers were being developed by these children over time, they were sometimes in danger, whoever was the caregiver. And so he made a robot mother to keep, you know, to keep them uh, out of trouble. And since a robot is sturdier than a regular person, if their powers were to get all messed up and that person, you know, and the, and the mother was to get attacked or something like that, the android slash robot can survive it, whereas a regular person cannot. Now, all that stuff is really cool. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I re- and then there's also like Justin said there were some really good moments where certain powers are manifested and then when you start seeing a lot of the time travel stuff because there is a time travel component to this it makes sense number five very early on we know disappeared in time and then during the first episode comes back right and we know that number five also is, is sort of like he's older he's in his 50s but he's in his child body so like there's a lot of cool things going on there but at the same time, so much of this show is sort of built around the idea of it being character-driven, like character-driven drama, which is actually really good. I think that's a good thing. I think I think shows, generally speaking, I think stories work best when they're character-driven because those are the types of people that we can engage with, we can root for, we want good things to happen to them, we can like them, we can root against them. But the problem is, is that so many of these characters are annoying. Um, most notably, number five. So number five is... A little child, he's like 11, 12, he's going through puberty, but he's actually a 50-something-year-old man. 
And so throughout the course of the entire season, he is stayed in he stays in his childhood form. And I imagine that's probably how he does in the in the comic. But he's incredibly annoying. And like Justin was saying, if any one of these people could just spend like like five minutes and just let me tell you what's going on, then everything would be fine. So much of the drama, so much of the conflict is driven by the fact that these people don't want to communicate, which I guess is fine. But at the same time, they're in their 30s. You know what I mean? This this isn't like teenagers that are dealing with teenage drama. These are 30 year olds, some of whom have kids, you know, some of whom have lives, some of whom have moved on and are actually having jobs and stuff like that, who are still incapable of actually communicating with one another. And it gets to a point where I I, I got annoyed, uh, especially with number one. So number one, Luther, the big ape guy, uh, he became, I almost stopped watching the show in the eighth or ninth episode, somewhere around there, because he just became so insufferable. And there are a series of decisions that he just sort of made without consulting the rest of the people. And everybody else on the team was like, no, we can't do this. So he was literally outvoted like six to one, but he still did it anyway. And no one stopped him, despite everyone being capable of doing so, and everyone knowing what he was doing was wrong. And it just got to the point where I'm just like, what, what the hell's going on? Like, this just seems like this decision needs to be made. This particular story point needs to happen, or else the drama moving forward in the ninth and 10th episode can't happen. So let's just have it happen. Let's not justify why this character is making this decision, even though Luther, to that point, was actually going through a very good arc. Like, he was this guy who was crushed. He, like, he was up there on the moon. He was the last of the seven kids who stuck with Hargreaves. All the other six abandoned Hargreaves over the course of the past 30 years. Luther hung around because Luther wanted to be the good soldier. He wanted to be this. He wanted to serve. He's number one, right? And so he goes through this, like, this whole movement where he feels broken. He feels lost and all these types of things. And he's trying to become a good leader. And, like, he doesn't even learn a lesson. It makes sense. It makes no sense. It makes it seem the 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 show makes it seem like he's learned his lesson about how to be a good leader. Right? Being a good leader involves actually listening to what other people want to want to say. It involves compromise. It involves communication, and that's the lesson he's supposed to have learned. And then we get to the point where he's actually supposed to apply those lessons, and he completely doesn't do that. And so, in the entire arc that this character was undergoing throughout the course of the the season, is completely demolished. Right? Is absolutely and utterly demolished. Number five is just, uh, I mean, I don't think he really has an arc. He's just doing all sorts of things here and there, left and right. He's jumping around in time, jumping around in space, but he's just irritating. He's so irritating. And there are certain things that I just, I just doesn't make sense. Like he's in his fifties and he's a kid and he's 12 years old and he's still wearing like little boy shorts. Like, like he's in some sort of private school and he's wearing socks up to his knees. He just looks like an idiot. Like uh, why? Like, why is this still actually behaving. And, and again, I just feel like these are decisions that are being made because they want the style to look like something and they want the plot to act act a certain way, but they don't necessarily justify some of those things with how the characters are behaving. Now, Ellen Page's character number seven, like Justin said, is a key component of this whole first season and apparently even more so in the first volume of the graphic novel. And that makes sense because she is the only one without powers. And so throughout the course of this season, it's all about her being kind of an outcast, even within her own family. And we see all sorts of flashbacks to when they were kids, and she was held out of doing all sorts of these wonderful things, like going and saving people at a bank that were being held hostage. She's not allowed to go in with the rest of them because she doesn't have any powers. She's just a regular person. She's ordinary, right? So apparently at some point in the past 20 years or whatever, she wrote a tell-all uh, book about the goings-on inside the Umbrella, Umbrella Academy, where she revealed that everything wasn't wonderful and it was and and in doing so it kind of ostracized her from the rest of the her family really cool and so now she's just like kind of broke broken and like emotionally disconnected person who just can't get close to anyone her character i think makes a lot of sense she gets a she gets a boyfriend throughout which i mean you can tell anyone anyone watching this show it's like knows, immediately you can tell immediately that dude ain't real like i turn to my wife i'm like I want this to be real. I want this relationship to be real, but it's, it's clearly not going to be, right? It's clearly not. And so the, naturally there's an ulterior motive, et cetera. And like, some of the stuff that she goes through, like of all the characters I can sort of just, I, can, I think she is the one that is best because I think she's been the one that's been screwed with and outcast the most. And that I feel like it makes sense why she would have such trouble kind of forgiving people or such trouble like functioning in the world when she is not allowed to have friends growing up. And that not only does her father figure 
keep her away from everybody else, but her own siblings supposedly, you know, don't as well. Then there's a whole love story between one and three. So one is Luther and three, I'm trying to remember what her name was. Was that Allison? I think that was Allison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's Luther and Allison. And then there's like a love story between them, which I guess is sweet, but it's also kind of creepy because they're raised as siblings. It's a little odd. Like what is is with this obsession? They weren't raised as children though. So you could make that argument back where it's like. That's fair, and it's like they're in an. It's like they're like in a kind of in an adoption. It's like it's not a big thing. It's a super small thing. It's not even really worth getting into too heavily, but like there's that that goes on, and we have the and like. So Allison's power is that she can whisper a rumor to a person. She can say, "I heard a rumor," and then that kind of mind controls the person to do whatever that rumor was, or that rumor somehow manifests into actuality, and she has somehow used that to become. Like a, like a Kim Kardashian type person or an actor or, or something like that, some sort of socialite. Uh, and that's fine. And she's got, she's estranged from her child, et cetera. And we hear, we learn that the reason she's estranged from her child and she's going through a divorce is because she's been using her, she used her rumor in situations within her family where she shouldn't have. That's really good. Like, I like that idea, but none of that is anything we see. All of that is stuff that just like kind of told to us. We never really get to explore it. And throughout the course of her adulthood, she doesn't really use that particular power all that often. And then when you look at Klaus, I mean, I think Klaus also makes a little sense. The guy's a little nutty. Um, he's he's a drug addict. Um, he's definitely one that, I mean, of all of them, seems incredibly broken. No one takes him seriously, and that's kind of frustrating. But also, I can you can sort of justify it because he doesn't take himself seriously. But at the same time, for the first whole life, he's been seeing dead people. He's been seeing and talking to dead people his whole life, and he self medicates to try to not have to see them. So like, there's logic and justification there right diego i mean diego was okay i guess but like diego's story was mostly around his attachment to the mother but like i don't we didn't really get a whole lot of diego as a kid other than the fact that he had a stutter like he had a stutter and the mother helped him through the stutter other than that like why diego's in the position he's in is in now i don't know why diego and luther can't get along I don't know. None of it makes sense. And, and like it, it's not clear. It's not explored in the present. And it's not explored in the past at all. And so they're just disagreeing for the sake of disagreeing. And that allows certain conflict to arise. And I'm just like, build the justification for why these characters would do this. Like, I, I just don't see that to the point where like, now you have characters behaving and acting certain ways that get other people killed or that get the, the big bads to actually do certain things that don't really seem logical anymore. And so I just... I feel like it loses the thread of the idea of this is a character-driven, you know, character-driven uh, show. It's like it's supposed to be driven by character, and they have the idea of these flawed and broken characters, but it never quite pulls it off for me. Like it gets close, like it has the right idea, but outside of like number seven and a little bit with Klaus, like all the other characters to me really get frustrating. Like they really get to the point where, oh man, like I just. I can't root for you. You're just annoying. Like, and I really wanted like a building to fall on top of number one in episode nine. I was just so sick. I was like, I, I almost turned it off and just said, you know what? I don't care what happens. I'm done. And I've never, I, you know, after you go nine out of 10 episodes, you have to finish, right? But I was, I was very close to just stopping just because of how frustrating some of the behavior was and not in a good way, like in a bad way and in a logical way. And it was so irritating. So the other problem I have with it is that I felt like the overarching plot wasn't clear. Like there, there was like a lack of urgency that was really annoying. And part of that urgency was because like the characters didn't share, didn't share stuff with each other. So number five knows right off the bat that the world's ending. And at no point does he actually tell his superhero siblings. And he does so because he doesn't think that they can do anything or accomplish anything or like they, they're like, but it's like, Okay, whatever, but like, why would you just, you know, like, why? That seems like such an unjustifiable reason to not say anything to anybody where that could possibly help you. And then we don't really understand why the world's ending or who the who the threat is, like, except it sort of seems obvious in a way. Like, it sort of comes, like, around episode four or five, it becomes incredibly clear to the, to the viewer, I think, how the world's going to end. I think so. Like, maybe I'm wrong with that, but it felt really obvious, but... For a really long time, it was just like, the world's ending in a couple days. Like, any time the show wants to kind of actually behave like the world's ending in a couple days, and the characters can start to behave like the world's ending in a couple days, that would be great. And yeah, it's like, they, the world's going to end in like a day. Let's dance. Yeah, let's, let's, let's go dance for in the let's go Let's go for a dance. Let, let's, let's go do that. And, like, and at a certain point, like, their house gets attacked, 
and like that doesn't get you to band together like oh we just got attacked almost everyone died okay cool let's all split up and go our separate ways like what the is that you know like characters are doing things that don't make sense and there's a lack of urgency and it's just I, for the longest time, I was like, is the show going to get going? Like, what's the overarching conceit here? Like, what are we going for? What's the goal? So, I don't know. Like, if we want to get to our overarching thoughts, like, I would say that I want to like the show more than I do. Uh, and I felt that the show, by the end, left a very bad taste in my mouth with the way the, the last two episodes played out. And I really disliked the fact that we waited so long throughout the course of this particular season to get to this promise point that when we get there it's such a letdown and then they end on a cliffhanger and so it's just like seriously like i don't know i don't feel like the show rewards you for watching like it really doesn't i'll probably watch season two just because i try to support when these types of speculative fiction shows show up so the fantasies and the sci-fis and the horror shows because i want them to make more of those but ultimately like if I'm comparing this to other types of shows, because I'm not going to compare it to the graphic network, because I do feel like we should separate that. Like, I, I don't like comparing comic books to movies because they're two entire mediums. I would like to compare this to t- other types of shows that are of this kind of variety. I have been watching Deadly Class lately. I think Deadly Class is, a, is, is far superior to this show, like far superior. It's, it's more, it, not only does it do style better, but I also think it does character better. And I care a hell of a lot more about like these bratty little teenagers that are in deadly class than I do about the really kind of juvenile 30 somethings, like get the hell over yourselves and move on. You know, like there's other things that concern yourselves with the world might end and where you're still, you still can't get over each other's sibling drama. Like it gets to the point where like if sibling drama is what's driving this show Sibling drama in no way, shape, or form should be comparable to this giant overarching apocalypse. Like, come on, man. Like, you can set that stuff aside and yell at each other after you fix the apocalypse, right? And then when you compare it to a couple other upper, other shows, like The Magicians, for instance. Like, The Magicians is on sci-fi. It's been on for a couple of years, and I love the show as well. And, like, even though that show started with some sort of really self-absorbed, uh, like, graduate students... Like, it's gotten to the point where I feel like the characters themselves have really started to develop. And even over the course of the first season, we started to understand, like, and we saw change in them. And we and some of their actions were justified by the ways in which they actually uh, were raised or what their concerns were. And this one, it just so they all just seem so annoying and selfish. And they all seem beholden to making decisions that are supposed to make the plot go around. So, like, if I'm comparing it to shows that are similar in, in ilk, you know, like supernatural groupings of children or young adults or something like that. Like, I don't put this at the top and I want to, like I wanted it to be good, but ultimately, like, I mean, I'll recommend it to people who are, who are fans of this genre just because it's, a, it's, it's quality. It looks good. There's good actors and there's some occasionally very heartfelt moments that I think do well. Like the whole scenes with Klaus when he starts to kind of remember some of the people that he's, he's trying to forget, I think are, are fantastic. I think Ellen Page sometimes does really, really well as, uh, with her character too. But like some of the other ones are just, oh man, like it's just, it's work to get through some scenes. Yeah, I, overall, I, th- I think it was fine. Um, it's not great, but it's fine. There's a lot of uh, bright spots and a lot of man moments. But um, I'm, I'm going to see it, hopefully if it uh, pans out, if there's a next season, I'll, I'll probably tune in for it as well because... Um, I support that type of comic book stuff, but like, I would prefer if anyone were to just read the comic books and stuff. Because comic books are are better. Um, the the story progresses better, and I I love the art of it too. Plus, you know, um, it's Dark Horse, which isn't like your normal stuff. It's Dark Horse is a DC branch off of like their darker comics. So uh, that'd be my overlook. If you like comic book stuff, watch it. But I would prefer uh, my bigger suggestion would be read the comic book instead. And on that note, uh, I feel like Justin and I are somewhat eye to eye on this. It's it's okay, but it could have been so much better is kind of where we're at. Um, and so with that, let's go ahead and do our Gentleman's Challenge for the week. And now, it's time for the Gentleman's Challenge. All 
So the Gentleman's Challenge is a segment we do on the Lollygaggers podcast where Justin and I like to give each other homework assignments because we're teachers and we love homework. And in order to, the, to ensure that we actually complete that homework, we come back on the next episode and we quiz each other about it. Now, these homework assignments are often watch a TV show, watch a movie, play a game. Uh, and sometimes those, those homework assignments are meant to drive the other crazy. And sometimes they're meant just to expose the other person to something that they might have missed that was really fun and good and they should watch it. Uh, so we should also warn you that everything that we talk about within the Gentleman's Challenge uh, is heavy spoiler territory. So we're not going to pull any punches. If we feel like spoiling something, we're going to go ahead and do it. So if there's something that we're talking about in this episode that you've been waiting to watch on your own, you might want to do that uh, before you listen to this episode. And on that note, Justin, I think I want to go first. So Justin assigned me Swiss Army Man, uh, which is a movie that you can find on Netflix right now. Uh, Swiss Army Man is a 2016 comedy. It's, uh, if you want to call it that, it's written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Uh, it stars Paul Dano as Hank, uh, who is a man that is shipwrecked on a relatively tiny island somewhere in the Pacific. And he is very desperate, and he's apparently been on there for quite some time because he's grown this nasty beard. Uh, he took a boat out, apparently, and there was a storm, and then he got stranded. Uh, and so he sends these little notes out. He's like, I don't want to die alone, da 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 uh, So after no help arrives, he gets very desperate, and he decides to kill himself. Uh, and so he starts to hang himself. But as, during the process of hanging himself, well, that's when uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character shows up. And by character, I mean as a corpse. So a magical corpse washes up onto the island where Hank is about to kill himself. And it's a dead body. It literally is a dead body, but it is that of Daniel Radcliffe. Excuse me, Radcliffe. Uh, Now, the dead body is magical because not only can it learn to talk, as it does over the course of the movie, but it has all sorts of these wonderful magical abilities. And so the very first magical ability that's revealed is that uh, the corpse, whose name we learn learn later is Manny, uh, his farts can propel him through water. So Hank is able Hmm. to ride him like a jet ski off the island so he just hops on top Mm. and fart 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 and there they go and eventually he falls off and washes up once again on the shore of some other wilderness like area but it's a different area and he's hoping that it's not an island this time Uh, and so then the two of them because the corpse is there as well manny's there they start to travel through the wilderness and they use manny's compass like erection to guide them back to civilization because yes manny can get an erection And this erection is magical because it points them towards something in civilization. Uh, And now, over the course of this journey, which takes place, I don't know exactly how long, but a while, uh, they become friends, and Manny becomes slowly more intelligent over time. He's very naive and childlike at the very beginning because he doesn't really understand anything, doesn't even understand what life is, needs the actual concept of life to be explained to him. He has no memory of who he was during his living time. Uh, And he also starts to recruit all these other magical abilities. So when Hank couldn't find water, Manny could, because I guess some water dripped into his mouth one night, now he could be be used as a a water fountain. At certain other points, he can be used as a weapon where they can project uh, like spears and bullets and stuff like that out of his mouth. Uh, His hands and his arms also can be wound up and like do some slashing and stuff like that as well. So there are all sorts of wonderful things. Um, Now, during the course of the movie... Uh, there's this image uh, on the phone of Paul Dano's character, Hank, of a woman. Uh, It's Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And we get occasional little blips of a flashback that suggest that Hank knew her. It might be his girlfriend. We're not really sure. It's not, spoiler alert. Uh, It's just a woman he is sort of obsessed with and possibly stalking. And by possibly, I mean probably stalking. Uh, And over the course of the movie, though, Manny kind of falls in love with her. And he starts trying to come back to life because Hank thinks it's the power of love that's bringing him back to life. And so he's continuing to kind of play this fiction without actually telling Hank that the woman, Sarah, on the actual screen is someone he knows, right? Or someone, etc. cetera. Uh, so, the, so Hank kind of plays along with this idea that maybe that woman is like Manny's girlfriend or wife or something like that. Uh, and then they start to go through all sorts of these different charades. They're very industrious. They make a lot of little scenes uh, out of whatever they have around them in the wilderness. Uh, they make a bus. And so they go through this little bus sequence, this bus scene where um, Hank is trying to teach Manny how to hit on a woman. 
Uh, and this gets Hank dressed up as Sarah. So he starts dressing up like a woman and they start behaving. They get very confused at a certain point. Uh, they drink and they almost make out. It's really strange. Um, then as they continue to progress, they, they have some you know bumps along the road. Um, but eventually they make it back to civilization, uh, having um, escaped from a bear. And at a certain point, Manny gets to evolve so much that he can now walk. So throughout the most of the movie, uh, Hank is actually carrying him. But now Hank, after being attacked by a bear, gets knocked out. And so now Manny walks the rest of the way following his erection. And they wind up in the backyard of the woman, Sarah, who is on the phone. She has a kid and a husband, and it gets really freaking weird. Uh, the kid comes out and talks to the corpse, Manny, and talks to Dano. Uh, Manny tries to show like all of his special powers, including the compass-like erection, because he doesn't understand that showing your, you know, your erection to a child is like, you know, bad. Uh, so yeah, and it gets kind of awkward at the end to the point where it looks like Manny's dead, and the local news come to interview Hank because of this guy who survived really, really long out in the wilderness or something like that. Uh, there's like a case of mistaken identity where everyone thinks that the dead guy is actually Hank because they look at the phone and they think the dead guy was stalking Sarah. And so Hank doesn't reveal. Then, then Hank's father shows up and it gets, it gets totally strange. And Hank finally says, hell with it. I'm going to I'm not going to hide anymore. I'm not going to lie. Like I've learned so much about Manny. Manny's been teaching him all along that and telling him like, stop worrying so much about like what other people accept in society. Just be yourself, you know, let your farts out. Okay. Don't say secrets and stuff like that. And so Manny reveals it, uh, steals the body as they're, uh, they're as they put it into a, a, a corpse bag and <laughs> runs back into the forest thinking that this will actually bring Manny back to life. He eventually gets down to the back down to the shore, got there really fast. Apparently, uh, it's revealed that they are really close to their house and they've been doing all this in like, in like the, the wilderness behind. Um, and then as the cops are surrounding, uh, Hank at the very end on the speech and as like the father is around and as like Sarah and her husband and her child are around, uh, Hank kind of brings Manny back to life in a way. Manny starts farting again and then Manny just heads out into the ocean by himself, a big, big smile on his face well i think hank goes to jail uh, i think that's what's gonna happen so yeah that's swiss army man um what did i think of it so it's very funny at times but i also feel like it outstays its welcome and much like uh the umbrella academy the end of this movie ruined everything that came up came before it so for a considerable portion of the movie, I was disarmed by how great this was. Like Daniel Radcliffe in this is so good. Like he plays a corpse that's slowly learning to be intelligent and his voice is weird. His physical movement is amazing. I didn't really do any research into how they made it look like he was a corpse and whether he was doing all the physical acting himself, but he was astoundingly excellent. And I usually don't like Paul Dano because I find him to be sort of a droopy, boring character and he kind of plays the same guy over and over again. But even he was really nice. The two of them together, their bonding and their friendship and their weirdness as like Hank's trying to teach him about life was all sorts of amazing. And there was this wonderful way that they kind of used music where they just start humming and then like that would transition into the soundtrack. They'd start humming like the Jurassic Park theme and then suddenly we'd hear the Jurassic Park theme. Or they just make up a song about being crazy uh, that his mom used to tell him, that Hank's mom used to sing to him uh, when he was trying to go to sleep and hoping to say he doesn't overthink things and like that would suddenly turn into sort of the score and it was just wonderful almost like meta om like almost fourth wall breaking moments that made it this really wonderfully peculiar and refreshing odd story but the problem was is that that refreshing odd innocent and in some ways disarming and lovely friendship was completely wrecked by the end like the last 15 minutes to me were it like where we're back in civilization and we're in the backyard of this woman that he he's been stalking this whole time and all sorts of it weird just turns out he's a psychopath it just turns out he's a psychopath and i, I it's 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 very much like that joke with family guy 
where like when uh, Stewie goes and he he goes through and like we're watching these episodes and he's killing his parents. He finally kills Lois and he's just he's going crazy and then he's like killing the president and it's gone it's going nuts. And then we and we realize after like a two episode a two part episode like it was all just a simulation and so everything we experienced up to that point was sort of taken away. That's kind of how I feel with this with this particular particular movie is that I feel like when I got to the end like a lot of the a lot of the experiences that I had throughout the course of this movie were undercut and like the knees were taken out of them by an end that really made it kind of kind of creepy. And like the whole idea of the lesson of like, why do we hold our farts in? You know what I mean? Why is that an embarrassing thing? It's a great, it's a great, wonderful, innocent observation, right? Because it's just, I mean, we don't do that with sneezes and we don't really do that with burps, but yet we do that with farts. And it's just like, and that's not a healthy thing. And we all know that physiologically it's not a healthy thing, but socially we got to do that, right? There's all sorts of these social constructs and these contracts that we actually have to follow. And it's a wonderful little conversation throughout. And I think the friendship that's blossoming between the two of them is great. But then at the end, we're just like, oh, well, let me just go ahead and ruin all that. And that's exactly what happens is it got so creepy. Like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not the type of person to laugh when the corpse wanders into the backyard and shows his erection at a little girl. Like, I don't find that funny, like, on any level. That's not funny to me, you know? So I felt like this movie, I mean, it's super experimental. It was on. It was at Sundance. It went through a lot of different a lot of different runs and it got really good reviews. Um, but some people didn't quite get in, like didn't catch or understand like the bizarre premise that, and I can, and, and I liked it. I like the bizarre premise, but at the same time, maybe this might've been better as like a 30 minute short, you know, a 30 minute short that was less about them returning to civilization and more just about them kind of exploring the fact that they don't need civilization, right? The idea that civilization is an unnecessary component to them finding happiness. So I liked it, but I was also really, really disappointed by the ending, and it kind of killed it. It really did. It really killed it for me. I don't know. What did you think of it? I thought it was weird and just got weirder. And, yeah. Uh, like, certain things were interesting, but, like, after the first six farts, that kind of overstated its welcome a little bit. Like, they, it, it was fun. Like, the certain things they're doing is very indie. The music's very indie, like very acapella type of feel to it, and yeah, very much, yeah. It's it's interesting, but I think at a certain point, like you said, it overstated its welcome. Yeah, but and it's not that long I think of a Daniel movie. Rat- Daniel Radcliffe did fine too, and I like Daniel Radcliffe. He was fantastic. Character. He he was amazing. Like I never thought a corpse ever since Weekend at Bernie's. I never thought anything could top it. But here we go. I'm proven wrong. You found a better corpse. Yeah, this is Weekend at Bernie's, basically. But uh, beyond that, like. It's just really weird. And then, like you said, the end part, you just find out he's a raving psycho. And it's just like, all right. So I guess this isn't really as fun and cute as I thought it was. Maybe that had something to do with it, but, like, it was really, really strange. So, Well, all. I mean, we it's revealed at the very end. I mean, I think we're, it's inferred or implied or whatever term is correct that they, they weren't traveling through the wilderness. Like, it's just revealed that he built these structures, like, literally right behind her house. Like, it's really, really close. And like that's not coincidence. Like I think the idea there is that that Hank has kind of been parked up here for a while. I mean, I don't know. That's kind of how I interpret it. But even if that's not the case, even if this is just a massive situation of coincidence, I still find it creepy. You know, I still find it. It still got to the end where I just like I got tricked into rooting for like a creepy stalker dude. You know, like I I don't know, man. Like again, it's that one one of those ideas where like I feel like you presented a movie and you presented a strange premise. And I bought in. Like, you didn't like it after the couple farts. And I get that. Like, fart humor is, like, it's very juvenile. It's very sophomoric. And there's a certain point where it's like, all right, enough already. But I bought into the strange press. I love this kind of stuff. You know, you, I mean, we talk about this all the time. I like my indie stuff. You know, I like, like, the weird indie movies. I like my weird indie comics. Like, I like that kind of stuff. But I bought into it. And then I felt like I wasn't rewarded for buying into it. I felt like I was punished for buying into it. I'm just like, dude, I was on board with your film. Or dudes, because there's two people. I was on board with your film. And I get to the very end, and it's just like, really? Like, that's what it was this whole time? Like, seriously? Couldn't this? I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, I felt really kind of betrayed by the ending, I guess, in a way. Is sort of where I'm at. All right, are we ready for your quiz questions? I guess. I don't know. Go ahead. If you don't know Jurassic Park, Jeffrey, then what? If I don't know Jurassic Park, then I don't know what? Yeah, if you don't know Jurassic Park, then you don't know what. Uh, 
It's just like a. Oh, I get, oh this is a quote it's from a the quote movie. From the movie. I like that a lot. You don't know. I mean, I assume it makes sense. It's just you don't know. Shit. Yes, is that right? That's what it was. Because if okay, you're yeah, yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park, then you don't know. I literally just guessed. I literally just guessed. Well, that's a good it guess. Sounded, it sounded like that was going to be the second half of that sentence. Okay. All right. So there's that one. Uh, name a few of his special powers, and then name uh, the best power. Okay, so we I talked about a couple during my, my run through, and that was the whole farting allows him to project. Uh, he does that. Um, he can essentially hold water within him and then pour it out like he's a water fountain. Uh, his erection is a compass that seems to be directed towards Sarah, and so they're actually moving towards Sarah. Um, he there's just, at one point his hands kind of snap together like they're a vice, and then he also has you can actually kind of wind up his arm to do like a karate chop, which he starts to use to kind of cut through things. Um, they get to the point where like they, they start pouring stuff down his throat, like spears and and like uh, like javelins and like little bullets, and they like punch him and that like fires it out like it's a gun. Um, there was this weird stuff that was happening with the bear. I couldn't quite figure it out where he was like flashing into Hank's mind. I, I wasn't quite sure. Some sort of telepathic thing going on there, but I wasn't entirely sure. Um, so what was the best of those? <laughs> hmm. That's a really interesting question. His best power. Um I mean, if we want to say, like, his power, like, he was immortal in the sense that he doesn't actually die. That's pretty cool. Um, I really like being able to just, like, do a jet ski with my farts. But I uh, the farting stuff got annoying after a while. He, I like how they put a cork in his butt to stop it because that doesn't actually really stop gas. But whatever. Um, I would say the most useful is certainly the water one. Uh, that's definitely the most useful. Uh, but if I had a pick, which is the coolest... Uh, I would pick the whole being able to shoot like javelins and stuff out of my mouth at ridiculously high speeds, like their bullets and stuff. That would be my choice of my favorite. Cause the, the erection one was funny until it turned out to be creepy. And so I can't, that that's like not the right answer. So that's my, I would favorite. agree with the last part. However, Jeffrey, anything powered by farts is clearly the best thing. I don't understand what you're thinking. You just said, no, that's not fair. You set me up because you said you didn't uh, know the fart stuff, but it's still farts. They're farts. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you half credit. I'll give you half credit. Um, I feel like you were gonna say it was wrong no matter what I said. Anyways, I feel like the question number three. Do. I feel like that's what you do with multiple choice questions. You just you just wait when for the answer, uh, they fell into the river. Describe how they were able to escape from drowning. So what what happened in the scene when they fell in the river? They they kissed. Uh-huh. Uh So they both fell in. They started kissing because uh, I, I think Hank got the idea in his head that if he kissed him. Uh, then he might be able to breathe. Uh, it didn't really look like that deep of a river from above. I was very confused. But anyway, uh, then the butt plug uh, falls out, and they get shot up out of the water like a great white breaking through the surface as it as it grasps a seal in its jaws, and it flops back down. That is That's a how they got fantastic out. description of what happened. So I will give you full credit, my friend. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Next question. What's the name of the little girl? Uh, and there's a reason why I like this question. What's the name of the little girl? Like the, the actual character? No, no, no. Um, yeah, the character. What's the name of the little girl at the end of the movie that they're talking to the backyard? Serenade multiplies multiple times, and there's a reason why I really like the name of this girl. Oh, it's uh, it's your wife's name. It's Chrissy. That's right. It's correct. It's Chrissy. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, last question. What the fuck is this movie? <laughs> it's about the beauty of friendship. It's about even creepy stalker psychopaths can find friendship as long as that friendship is found with a person who likely is dead and possibly killed themselves and is now not it's kind of like this soulless husk of even. So like anybody, even a dead person, anybody, even a creepy stalker dude can find friendship. There you go. I, I like that answer. It's a good answer. All right, so you got uh, four and a half out of five, I believe. So uh, that's pretty good. That's, that's pretty. That's a damn good quiz. All right, so my turn. I watched a movie called Kingdom, or a TV show called Kingdom. It's on Netflix. It came out just a couple days ago. Um, it is a Netflix original series that is produced out of Korea. Um, it stars Duna Bay, Greg Chun, Jun Ho Hyo, and a whole bunch of other Korean people that I don't really know who they are. Uh, but essentially, what the story is. 
is you have a monarchy in Korea. And the son of the king uh, suspects that his father has passed away. Um, the monarchy does not want this to be known because uh, the son is a bastard son of him and a concubine. So he is the crown prince, um, but the father has recently married a young woman and had a child, and the baby is to be born soon. And when that baby is born, then that baby will then become the rightful owner to the throne. And if the baby is born after he's passed away, it will go to the crown prince before it will go to the baby. So there's this weird situation where there is a monarchy where people are trying to keep out of the people's eyes that the king has or the emperor has passed. The son believes that there is a death to deal with and that he's trying to get to the bottom of it, not just because of the idea of the crown prince thing. He can honestly care less. He just is worried about his father and just wants to make sure that his father is dead. And if he's dead, is he being dealt with properly and what's going on? That's really what it comes down to. Uh, people on the other side, though, believe that, he, that his intentions are truly because he just wants to grab power from the throne. Um, in this uh, situation, what happens is the royal guard is kind of on the side of the queen who wants the baby to be born. And you f slowly find out over time that they had an experimental doctor come in when he had passed away. And they had him ingest a certain flower. And this flower basically brought him back to life as a zombie. And so basically this is a zombie story. The beginning of the story, um, there's another priest that comes in to try and help feed him. But when he feeds him, he gets uh, eaten or like, bitten by him. And so they try to dispose of the body by taking it to a local infirmary place, like a local uh, a, a medical institution outside of the kingdom. Um, and in this area, the, they had these people that were being tortured by uh, the emperor because they were basically putting up these rumors that the emperor was dead. Um, they felt like that it was being covered up by the by the administration and that, and so they're kind of being forced to live there and they didn't have any uh, food or whatever, kind of being tortured. Um, and so the, the doctor comes back with the young boy's body that was killed by the emperor and that's when the poop starts hitting the fan. So these zombies are a little different. They only come alive at night. And so when he brought him into the facility, he had, uh, it was daytime. So they didn't know that there was anything wrong with them. Everyone was starving. So one of the local men in the area that has kind of been leading the rebellion takes the body of the young boy and cooks it and feeds it to everyone in the uh, Of facility. course. Right. And I like how when he's confronted about that, he's like, oh, I caught a deer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, she, and then she and the nurse was like, wait, you can't hunt deer. Did you get permission for that? And he's like, I don't need permission. I'm like, and I started thinking about it afterwards. I'm like, look, if an option was to actually kill a deer without permission to feed, wouldn't that have been a better option than feeding a dead body? To nah, a no, 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 no. Well, they also said that I there hasn't so. been a deer in the area for a long time, that it's been kind of been dried up. That's true. So he feeds the dead body to the people, and the people slowly over time die. And as the night comes, they all come back to life. Um, and basically, they create this like little area of like 42 people that have basically been turned into zombies. And a young nurse and that one guy who cooked up the bodies somehow survive. When daylight comes, they bind all the bodies together and hide it under the building. And then kind of like make it so no one can come in. Meanwhile, the son is trying to find information about his father, what's going on. So he's trying to hunt down this this uh, doctor. He finds the doctor is back at that facility, goes to it with one of his uh, um, adv not like advisors, just kind of like one of his uh, royal guard. And uh, when he ends up getting there, he finds all the dead bodies. He pulls them out, sends them back to another village to kind of get looked at and investigated. They untile the bodies and they kind of lay them all out there. And then the guy who kind of like cooked all the people shows up and said, cooked the person to, for all the people show up and said, we got to get rid of these bodies. They're going to come back to life at night. They're like, you're crazy. You murdered all these people. And so they lock them up and uh, him and the nurse. And then basically uh, they wake up in the middle of the night and uh, they destroy the whole town. Uh, one of the main royal guardsmen for the empress or the, uh, the queen uh, sends uh, it comes to meet him at the doctor's place. They get in a big old fight, and then he sees the zombies there for the first time. So it's 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 pretty cut and dry. It's just like all these situations of the worst stuff that can happen can't happen. And it's just so. What do I think of it? Uh, 
I think it's interesting because first off, I like Korean zombies. I started off with Train to Busan. That's why I gave it to you. I figure I know Justin doesn't normally like zombies, but he really he really likes Korean zombies. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. I'm like, hey, Korean zombie TV show that I kind of want to watch. So this seems perfect. And it's a very similar type of zombie. They're kind of like, you know, kind of like weird body movement. Yeah, like the natural. weird kind of glitchy movement, yeah. almost like the uh, the nurses from Silent Hill. I was I like, when the when they started rising from the dead at the town, I was like, what are all these breakdancers doing in the middle of the town square? It's interesting. Well, you know, they're practicing for the next Olympics because uh, breakdancing is uh, one of the finalists to, to, to be a sport in the Olympics. Hell yeah! Anyways, it's interesting. I, the reason why I like it is because it really isn't about the zombies. Like, it, Clearly, that's like the, the backdrop. Obviously, there's zombies involved. But it's more of a political drama between uh, two families. It's like Game of Thrones almost, trying to figure out who owns the right to the the throne of, of yeah. the area it's like game of thrones meet walking dead but yeah, with yeah, yeah. uh with a actual coherent plot that is probably going to have a beginning middle and end it isn't just a factory of misery and people who speak to each other and have good characters anyway <laughs> um it was good uh i thought the zombies were interesting um let's try to see i'm trying to see if there's anything else i put in here uh it's a good twist in the horror genre because like you think about like back in that time there was like no way to communicate, no way to kind of like understand what was going on. And so uh, like when something happens and it's like a little epidemic, it can kind of spread very easily. You can see it through ignorance and time, how it could very easily spread throughout the countryside and become worse and worse. So I thought it was really interesting. And uh, the only thing, my only complaint was I was hoping for more Kung Fu. That's about it. Um, but yeah. yeah, there wasn't a whole lot. There was, there was basically one, uh, one sword one fight sword scene. Fight, yeah. Yeah, in episode two, um, it's I think there's six episodes or maybe eight episodes, so there might be more fighting. Uh, they definitely there's plenty of people who who I mean there's so many swords, so we see tons of it. So like it, for me, it's like Chekhov's gun. I'm like I see swords. There better be some sword fighting at some point. So, uh, but yeah, there, there doesn't it hasn't really been a very uh, f- fighting heavy type of show or even a horror heavy type of show. It's just a little bit of everything. It's it's kind of got a good balance. But overall, I enjoyed it. Um, I'm probably it's only like six episodes, so I'll probably I'll easily be able to finish it out. Wrestling's over soon, so my ability to watch things is going to greatly improve over the next couple of weeks. Um, so I'll be able to catch up on a lot of stuff that I've been missing. But interesting, and there is a uh, a dubbed version, which is you know I think it's still the same actors talking because it's um, what it seems like it. It is not. Uh, a couple things. So there's two seasons. Uh, so there's 12 total episodes. We only have access to season one right now. So uh, at some point, maybe season two will pop up there as well. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Uh, I'd suggest watching it. It's an interesting show. And uh, the acting was really good. So, yeah. All right. Uh, that's good. I'm glad you had a good positive review from it. Uh, it's good to get you built up towards this zombie stuff because you have a Resident Evil uh, 2 remake oh to boy. start playing, which Can't I see wait. you haven't actually started playing yet, so you got to get going because the challenge is coming very soon. All right. Ready for your quiz? Yeah. So the Crown Prince uh, has like a guard that starts following him around, all right? And he, in order to get him, he has to kind of blackmail him. How, do, how does he do this? Because he's going to destroy his family. Yeah, but like specifically, time. like, what's what's the material that he has that he's blackmailing him with? Uh, well, he did say that he wanted he he was offering him a certain type of beef for dinner that one night. Uh, like, if you if you do this for me, you'll get the good beef. But all I remember is he said he's going to destroy him and his family. That's all I can remember. Yeah. So. You're right about the whole I'm going to annihilate your family stuff, but that was episode two. Episode one, to get him to actually start helping him initially, he blackmails him because there's information he knows uh, about, I think his name is Mu Yong, is the name of the guard. There's information he has, and that is that he it was a thief. He actually stole some stuff, and he stole pear, uh, pears from Naju, pomegranates from Gocheng, and he oh, also yeah. stole the royal kitchen's carefully prepared ginger sweets. And by the way, I freaking love ginger sweets. They're so, like, spicy and hot. Anyway, uh, so those are the things. Uh, quarter, uh, quarter credit, maybe? I don't know, maybe? No, because I, I wanted to know what was the blackmail material. All right, okay, so, okay, fine. Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry about that. Uh, question number two, what are family and children after death? Or what do they become after death? Nothing but meat and bones. 
that meat all is is the correct answer. The correct answer is just meat. So I'll give you credit for that, even uh, though you uh, added yeah, some right. extra stuff on it. But yeah, uh, the one character who was with the I can't remember his name, uh, but he was the one who actually set up all the bamboo, collected all the bamboo to try to try to protect like the, the outbreak. Uh, he he says uh, family and children are just you know after death are just meat, and I'm like uh, uh, that's kind of a creepy outlook on life. But I mean I could sort of see that. Uh, but sometimes corpses they evolve and they become smart and they learn. They question. They learn. Do. They learn. Yeah. Uh, question number three. Now, what does the guard Mouillon want in return for helping and continuing to help the crown prince, including traveling across across the nation? That's what they're doing in, in sort of episode two. So, what is it that he wants in return for helping the crown prince? And why? Oh boy. Um. Well, he said, "Whether or not you help me, they're going to kill me, then kill you." Right. So he's kind of he kind of convinced him in that sense. Other than I can't remember, I can't remember what was the reason. The other reason why he wanted. Okay, it. so there's two things he wants. He wants beef, which you mentioned before. So I'm going to give you a partial credit for that, but you didn't answer it here. But that, this is where the beef question comes from. The other thing he wants is seaweed from Gijang. Uh, and he wants that seaweed because it's really good for pregnant women and his wife is pregnant. Ah. So I will give you, so there's kind of three components there. So I'm going to give you 0.33. Okay. Question number four, question number four. So as they're traveling through the countryside, the crown prince says, you know, it's really quiet. I haven't heard anything for some time now. And I, including insects, I haven't heard an insect chirp for a while. So my question, Justin, is why the hell would a zombie outbreak make insects not want to chirp? Because they're so scary and spooky and like spooky things make people and even uh, like bugs terrified, right? I, I really have no idea. Why would that matter? Do zombies eat bugs? I'm, I'm assuming maybe that's the case. Zombies eat bugs when they're not humans. Maybe that's what it is. I think I figured it out. Zombies eat bugs. Yeah, I'm not going to go ahead and credit you with that one. Uh, I mean, I didn't really have a specific answer. I just I just said something interesting and funny, and that was neither That's never or funny. anything that I do or say, though. So, <laughs> so that's incorrect. I would have taken anything. I would have taken the fact that maybe the zombie plague had expanded into frogs, and frogs are going around uh, eating Zombie insects, frogs, oh, my like God. <laughs> zombie frogs would be crazy. Uh, okay, question number five. Uh, in, in towards the end of episode two, as all of the corpses are laid out in front of the new sheriff, uh, the uh, there's one guy uh, as they start the, as the corpses begin to rise as the sun goes down, who is like, "That's my wife," and then he runs to help her. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. If that was Chrissy, who was standing up after being a corpse for all you know two days or something like that, and just starts to stand up and looks the way that woman looked. Would you scream, that's her, that's my wife, and run to help her? Or would you nope the fuck out? I'd be like, hey, babe, you all right over there? No? All right. Well, uh, good seeing you. Uh, I'll see you later. Bye. I'm getting out of there. Like, She did not look yeah, like she was yeah. in a good position in her life at all. Yeah, so. that is the correct answer. That is the correct answer. The correct answer is, uh, yeah, you get, you get the It's been out. great. Uh, uh, yep. See you later. Yep, yep. And final question, Justin. Do zombies poop? Uh, every, everything poops. Everybody poops. That that is the correct answer. But in all honestly, I feel like we need to we need to dig down on this one a little, a little bit. The Walking Dead never really covers this, but we always have these 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 zombies that eat people, right? And yet, is there digestion that goes on? Like, does it actually happen? Some of them don't even have digestive systems. Like their whole tor- like their torsos are completely point. falling apart. And yet we never see poop anywhere. It's very confusing. Or does it just fall out of their tummies? Like, what happens here? That's I don't really a good understand point. what happens. Um, very, they but, turn straight to gas, much like Daniel Radcliffe. Um, is that the case, too? Sure. There's happen. lots of choices I here. I don't know. But as we learned from from our other movie, or from, I guess, our only movie, Swiss Army, Swiss Army Man, uh, everybody does, in fact, poop. That's true. Right, so, That's true. so you got, you got uh, I think you got two full questions right. No, three full questions right. And, and a third. Point three three. So you got 3.33 That's pretty good. Eating. I'm proud of myself. That's pretty good for you. Out of six. Very nice. Very nice. That's above 50%. Very nice, all right, man. All right. All right. All right. So uh, both, of, yeah, both of our challenges are pretty interesting watches, but 
depending on how you, you know, depending on if you like weird stuff, maybe Swiss Army Man's not for you. And if you're like me, which I hope you aren't, uh, the ending would really ruin the movie. Uh, so, new challenges. You ready, Justin? I am ready. All right, Justin, what do you got for me? So, I have a couple of them just in case uh, things don't work out. So, first one, have you watched One Punch Man yet? Uh, yes, I have. All right, so next one. Uh, I would like you to watch the Beauty and the Beast show back from the 1990s starring Ron Perlman. First two episodes. I actually have already seen them. Sorry. I'm very aware. I'd like you to watch it again. I, okay, that's fine. If you want me to, that's fine. Uh, what's it on? I believe it's on Amazon. No, uh, yeah, okay. it's, yeah, Amazon. It's not Amazon, it's Hulu. So, Ron Perlman's Beauty okay. and the Beast starring him her, him and... Uh, well, who is who's from uh, Terminator? What's her name? Oh boy! Oh boy! What's her? Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton. There you go. That's on the tip of my tongue the whole no. time. So, beating the beast on Ron Perlman and Linda Hamilton. Uh, I had a feeling you may have seen it already, but I was like, I'd already seen uh, 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 Dr. Quinn, so I thought, well, this will be good too. I'll, I'll do yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally fine. As long, as long, as long. Well, I mean, you, you, you said you had a bunch of them. Yeah, I also had. If... Uh, have you seen Jason X? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've seen that a couple times. And that was also the Gotti movie starring John Travolta, which I thought, you know, it's how much you love John Travolta. That might be a good one. I've heard it's oh absolutely God. terrible. Oh, my God. So I thought you might enjoy oh that. God. So those are my four that I had picked out. Would you, okay. would you rather do one of the other two? It's up to you. Uh, no, it's whatever you want. You, you we'll, tell we'll me. Beauty you want Beauty me to Beauty do Beauty Sounds good. Okay, it's Beauty okay. Beast. Justin, I would like you to watch the new Netflix film just dropped like a week or two ago. It's got a little, little man known by Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, no. It's a combination of my, my 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 two most favorite things, uh, psychopathy, and uh, and really elitist art art galleries. Yeah, I saw this. I would like to watch Velvet Buzz. Oh my god! I saw this and I was like, "This looks like garbage." His haircut bothers me. So mm, all right, your haircut bothers me. So well, most people do. So I understand. All right, that's fine. All right, so it is time then to shut this sucker down. Uh, if you like what we're doing here, uh, if you would be so inclined as to hop on iTunes, maybe leave us a, a like, a subscribe, a little review, something like that. If you don't want to hop on iTunes, uh, whatever service that you use to acquire our podcast, we would definitely love a little bit of feedback. Uh, you can also find us online at lollygaggerco.com, and you can reach out to me on Twitter at lollygaggerco if you have any suggestions on how we can improve the show or if you have any ideas and what we can challenge each other with uh, that would be great uh, if you have some time and want to watch uh, watch this funny guy Justin play video games yeah. in a very poor way hop on twitch.tv slash jehufa you can watch him play all sorts of different things uh, from time to time uh, you can also catch him on twitter Justin what is your twitter? jdvice at jdvice with that, Justin, uh, say something heartfelt. Um, I love. Thank my you. Wife. Have a good night. <laughs>